Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory, Glory to, to you, you, O Lord. Lord. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, you, O Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and touch my lips. Come, Holy Spirit, and illuminate our minds. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts with love for you. Amen. I wonder if in your life you've ever changed your name. Maybe the name that you were christened with isn't the name that you liked very much. I remember my youngest son, uh, who is called Graham, decided when he was about seven or eight that he really didn't like that name and he wanted to be called Benjamin, mostly because there was a really cool boy at school called Benjamin and he really wanted to be cool. So we had a long discussion and talked to him about, well, actually, that was the name on his birth certificate. That was the name he'd been christened with. So unless he still wanted to change it when he was 18, there was nothing we could do. And then he could change it at the age of 18 by deed poll if he wanted to do that. I can remember on his 18th birthday teasing him that now he could change his name if he wanted to. And with a few words that I won't use in this church and in this sermon, he turned around to me and said that he didn't think that was much good anymore as everybody knew him as Graham now. Perhaps if you are a woman who has changed her name when she's got married, your surname has changed. Whatever and however your name has changed, and maybe even if you haven't changed your first name or your surname, for whatever reason, you may have ended up with a nickname at school, pleasant or otherwise, and maybe be known by a shorter name instead of your full name. We often shorten names, don't we? We go from Thomas to Tom, or Matthew to Matt, or my eldest son, who was called Gareth, 
ended up being Gaz. And even me with Ruth ends up being Rue, but only to very few close family members, so don't even try it. But however we change our names, we also have a shift in identity, don't we? Perhaps if you use a name that you've changed by deed poll, that's a really significant change of identity. But when you get married as a woman, does your identity change when you start to use that surname? It certainly means you are considered to be tied into relationship with that man or that woman. And it's a little bit more than the trying to write the surname when you have a crush on somebody in school. I remember having a crush when I was 10 or 11 on a boy called Martin Ramsell. I don't know how many times I wrote out Ruth Ramsell. I had monograms and all sorts of things just because I was convinced that I could be part of his life if only I wrote that out time and time again. Innocence is great, isn't it? And today in our readings, we have two people, two people, or actually three people, whose names have been changed just slightly by God. We have Abram, who becomes Abraham, Sarai, who becomes Sarah, and then Peter, who actually begins being Simon in the calling of the disciples. If you remember that part of the gospel where Jesus calls them to come to his house, come and see where I'm staying. And it is at that point that Jesus recognizes Peter for who he is and says, Simon of Jonah, you are to be called Peter and on this rock I will build my church. God knows each and every one of us and gives us our identity, whatever our name might be. But as it says in Isaiah, he calls us by name. We are not to fear because we have been redeemed and we are called by name. So God has names for us too. Names that mean things. Abraham is to be the father of many descendants and many nations. Peter is to be the rock on which the church is built. And yet, as we look at these readings this morning, we see that it's not always hunky-dory. It doesn't always go very smoothly. I wonder how it would feel to have your name and your identity changed when you were 99 years old. I'm sure Abraham didn't sleep very much that night, wondering what on earth could that promise to him actually mean? What was that about? How could he be the father of all the nations? Especially with Sarah, who at the time was also 
old and aged, well beyond the bearing of children. And yet, as we know, the story unfolds and Sarah is visited, Abraham too, and Isaac is brought forth. And from there, we go on and on until, as God promised, the promise comes to fruition and there are many descendants and many nations, all stemming from Abram, from Abraham, who had that faith and justification by God, therefore, to trust in the promise, even though he couldn't see how it was going to work. And if you remember when they're visited at the Oaks of Mamre, Sarah literally laughs in the face of God to think that she will bear a child. So even though Abraham might not have laughed out loud like Sarah, I'm sure in his heart of hearts, as he went about tending the flocks and sitting in his tent, waiting for that day when the promise of God would begin, I'm sure he doubted or had a little chuckle to himself. Of course, he never saw the absolute fruition. He saw the beginning of the promise in Isaac, but he never came to see the absolute end. And Peter is the same, the rock on whom the church will be built. I'm sure he must have gone home from that first day, that first encounter, thinking, what on earth? How can I? I'm a simple fisherman. And as we listen and watch Peter and Jesus and the other disciples, we see time and time again how he and the others get it so wrong just cannot understand what that promise is all about. Until we reach with Peter the utter denial of that promise in the garden and in the courtyard. And here, it's almost as if he's gone above God. Peter has decided what's going to happen. He's got a plan. So that as Jesus is telling him and the others about the suffering and the fact that he will die, but that he will rise again, we're told in very clear words, they didn't understand. And they were afraid to ask him any more, afraid to ask what actually this might mean. But Peter, and you can understand it, hearing those words from Jesus, looks at his best friend, a person he has loved so much that he's left his business behind, he's left his family behind. He's gone and followed this person because of a promise that was given to him. And yet now, because he can't see that the promise is working its way out in the way he wanted to, he says, no, no. That's not going to happen. We can make a different plan. There's a different promise. 
And of course, I'm sure in Jesus's head, he would have loved a different way. Perhaps when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, it's because Peter has voiced the thoughts that were maybe in Jesus's heart. And Jesus knows if he goes down that road, he may never get to the cross. He has already committed to taking the hard journey. He knows that from the words he's just told the disciples. And wouldn't it be easier to do what Peter says, to go with a different plan and not God's plan? Well, of course. And yet, in the end, God's promise again comes to fruition. Abraham is the father of many nations. And Peter becomes the rock on which the church is built. Two men, as well as the women who went with them, showing great faith, questioning, yes, wondering, yes, perhaps despairing, doing all of the things that we do, questioning God's promise to us, questioning, particularly in times like today, about where God is, where is God at work? But in some ways, it's the same as when Jesus was on the cross, isn't it? And people said, why don't you call down God? If you are the Son of God, call him down to deliver you. Of course, Jesus could have done that. And of course, maybe, God would have responded. But that wasn't God's plan. plan was to show everyone through the death and resurrection of his only son that he was a God of promise and of faithfulness. And so we come to Paul's letter to the Romans. Such an inspirational letter one that helps us, perhaps, in our own faith today. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It's a two-way faith. God has faith in us, in Abraham and Peter, and we have faith in God. If at the end of the day, Jesus can build his church on the rock that was Peter, stumbling rock, a fallible rock, one that got things wrong, and still 2,000 years later, the church is here and alive. Not just the buildings, 
the people all over the world. Then we can know that God continues to live out his promise in each of us, however fallible or broken we are, however many times we get things wrong. Because God knows us by name and has redeemed us. God wants us to know that we are reckoned to him, we are reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ. I love that word reckoned. It's an admission of the relationship between two people. You are reckoned as justified. You are given relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so we, like Abraham and Peter and all the disciples that have gone down through the ages, all the people called by God actually, when you start to look at your Bible more deeply, hardly any of them saw the promise of God come to fruition. And we're all still waiting for that promise. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. So whilst we wait and we wonder and we ponder and sometimes we despair, we're asked to wait in faith. However small or big, deep or wide that faith might be today, however broken it is, however lacking however tiny left over from what maybe you learnt as a child. God's promise is that because of it, we have a place with him. We may have thoughts and feelings in our hearts and in our minds at this time that doubt, that are fearful for the future. And yet, as God said to Abraham and to Sarah and to Peter, I have your future. Your future is set with me. So whatever your name, whatever your identity in this world, this morning, know that your identity is only bound up in the love of God. Redeemed, loved, sustained. Amen.